Well, this has been quite a week in the Twin Cities, hasn't it? In case you haven't heard, the Super Bowl is today, and it's being played in Minneapolis, which has been a crazy week. Uh, Super Bowl 52, it's like there's been a party going on all week, party going on in here, a celebration to last at least a week. And uh, it's been kind of crazy. It's been kind of cool. I haven't been able to go to any of the festivities, but I've been kind of following along online. And uh, maybe some of you got to the Mall of America, uh, where it's been kind of a zoo, but in a good way. A big uh, old area for all of the sports radio personalities in the country and lots of uh, famous athletes milling around in the Mall of America. Um, There's been concerts all, uh, all this week and even previously to the, this week, um, artists like Pink and the Dave Matthews Band and Imagine Dragons and Gwen Stefani and Kelly Clarkson and Diddy, or is it Sean Combs or Puffy or Puff Daddy or P. Diddy? Mark, you know all those, right? Yeah. Whatever you want to call them, he was here. All of them were here. Um, and uh, so it's been kind of a cool week. Um, Justin Timberlake, Halftime Entertainment, has been kind of acclimating himself to Minnesota and the Twin Cities by sort of posting different things at like a St. Paul's Target and out in the, out in the uh, cold tundra of, the, of Minnesota at this time of year. Um, in fact, maybe some of you heard also that tonight there's going to be a special edition of The Tonight Show at the Orpheum in Minneapolis. One of my favorite guys, Jimmy Fallon, is going to be hosting that. And uh, he did this thing this week. Did you, did you hear about it? Where he essentially invited himself over to someone's house, which doesn't work so well with a normal person, but for a celebrity to say, hey, you get to have me for, you get to cook dinner for me. You know, tons of people uh, sort of shared their Best and favorite family recipe, and this couple or family in Champlin won it. Did you hear what they served? Yeah, tater tot hot dish, right? Hot dish. Jimmy Fallon had never heard of hot dish before, which is is crazy to me. Um, So kind of a cool week, and you know, to be really honest with you, I'm actually a little bit sad that it's over. Now, I'm not sad about the crowds that many of you uh, had to endure and that going away and all that crowdedness. Um, I, I definitely wanted the Eagles fans to go home before they even got here. So they're, you know, I'm not sad about that either. But um, I am kind of sad about the, all the fun and, and all of the focus on the Twin Cities is kind of a cool thing. And, you know, I think there's something in all of us that finds it fun to be a part of something big, that is glad to be a part of something that's important. And from where I come from as a a Christian and someone who believes um, in God, like so many of you here today, um, I really think that's not just something that's in us, but that, in fact, for our first fill-in for today, that it's something that God put in us. That we were designed, I believe, with a desire to make a difference. And sometimes we go through certain seasons of life where that kind of gets suppressed and we kind of get negative and we, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, I think you'd all agree with me, something, that what this says, that we were designed with this desire 
to make a difference. We want to be a part of something that's important. We don't want to live our lives however long they might be and at the end think, well, I didn't really do anything of significance. You know, honestly, there's a lot of reasons why people have midlife crises and then buy a Corvette or a convertible. Um, At least that's what they say, right? But I think this really is at the heart of much of it where you get to a certain age in your life, like around my age or so, a little older maybe, where you begin to think, you know what, like half my life is over or more. Have, have I done what I wanted to do? Have I done anything again that's made a difference? And people can get really, I guess, anxious over that and feel really down about that. Now, while the Super Bowl week in Minnesota is over and probably won't be coming back for a few more decades, right? What I can tell you is that today's time with Jesus has the potential to allow you to have a purpose greater than that which maybe you've been living for recently. I'm not going to guarantee you that it'll take away any opportunity for a midlife crisis. That can still happen. But what I am saying is that our time together today, listening to Jesus speak to four gentlemen 2,000 years ago, is going to hopefully really focus our hearts on that which we can do to make a difference. So a little bit of intro to our section and really the entire series. So we are looking at the three-year ministry of Jesus from the beginning of January until Easter time frame. And really, those three years have been able to be summarized in this way. Each year kind of focused on something when you look back on it. That, that first year many people call, that first year of Jesus' ministry, call the year of introduction or the year of inauguration. And so that about first year of Jesus' ministry is where this relative unknown from the hick town of Nazareth starts to sort of come out starting at his baptism. We looked at that in week one. And people begin to learn about the name Jesus. And they begin to hear about the things that he's teaching, begin to to see some of the miracles that he's doing. And up until this point in the series, we've been in year one. The next year is the year of popularity. So for about a year, Jesus' popularity was at an all-time high. At this point, Pretty much everyone in Israel, as far as we know, would have at least heard about Jesus and the crowds were growing and there'd be five to 10,000 people at a time coming to hear this, this preacher from Nazareth who says he's the son of God. And he would do miracles and his popularity was at an all-time high. And then the last year of his ministry sometimes is called the year of opposition. And so what happened then was that the religious leaders of the day began to be very uncomfortable with Jesus. And I'm guessing that part of it in their minds were honorable. They didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. 
And so they, if you were to ask them, probably would say they were defending the truth by being opposed to Jesus. But here's the other thing about them. I don't believe they were able to see Jesus clearly or his message clearly, in part because if Jesus was the Savior and what he was saying was true, these Jewish leaders had a whole lot to lose. They would lose their position and authority with the people. And so I doubt that their vision when it came to Jesus' message was very clear. And the opposition, as started and spurred on by the Jewish leaders, began to grow and to grow until Jesus finally was killed. We'll get to that on Good Friday. But for today, we're here. We're at the year of popularity, at the the very beginning of year two of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to look at Mark Chapter 1, this is one of the the four biographies of Jesus, beginning with verse 14. Here's what it says. Jesus went into Galilee, that is not only a sea, which we'll look at, but also an area, the northern part of Israel. Jesus traveled into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, that is, turn from your sin and believe the good news that Jesus had come to bring. Now, let me remind you that this message of good news is radically different from what the people at the time were being taught. See, what they were being taught is that if they wanted to get right with God, because Only the most arrogant of us would not admit that we're not perfect, would not admit that we don't have sin. Most people recognize we're not perfect. And so we're all longing to have a a way to get right with God, okay? And, And so the system of the time was you get right with God by doing good things or acting the right way. And the result was a whole bunch of people who never felt they were right with God because they never knew whether they had done enough or not. Now, before we throw stones at those people 2,000 years ago too much, let, let me just say that our natural inclination, whether it comes to salvation or for some others of us, just God allowing us to buy the new car and everything in between, our natural inclination is to try to get right with God by what we do. If things aren't going well or if we had a bad week, how often do we think, well, I didn't go to church that week. But if I would have gone to church, maybe things would have been better. You know, God does not work that way. He does not have a system of things to do for him to love us more. And the truth is, that is so, so comforting. And in fact, when you and I realize that heaven and forgiveness is not about what I do, but about good news, it frees us to live in a whole different way. And I was trying to think about how do I, how do I best illustrate this? The difference, because for some of us, you hear that and you're like, yeah, Well, some of you have never lived your life without the good news. So you don't understand what it's like not to have it. 
But I, I was thinking about this, and it made me think about when I was a kid. And my mom, as we got a little bit older, would, would work full time. And so in the summer, us three kids were home alone. And um, every morning without fail, um, my mom had a list of chores for each of us to do. And it was like, you know, she'd put it on the kitchen counter and we'd get up after she left and it would be noon till I looked at that list because I did not want anything of it. But it just was this, this burden that I'd wear all day. And then I'd end up having to do um, my brother's uh, chores too because he was lazy and he's probably going to watch this online and call me about this. But he was. I did most of his chores too. And it just was this burden that, that I wore. Now I was thinking of how when you have a list that you know you need to get done, it's not something that feels so good. But what if this did not happen? But what if every morning my mom laid out a list, not of things that she wanted me to do, but a list of things that she was going to give us that day? Like, I'm going to, this is where I'm going to take you, and this is what I'm going to buy you, and this is what I'm going to do for you. And believe me, she did plenty for us, but there was never a list like that, okay? But what if there were? I'd wake up and head to the list and see what awesome things my mom would be giving me today. The list would take on a whole different view. It would be good news, not a system. And that is the difference between thinking of God through the lens of a list or a system or thinking of God the way we should as a God who gives gifts. Every morning we wake up, we can turn to Scripture, whether it be in our hearts and minds or literally to Scripture and understand and recognize that God is the greatest gift giver, not Oprah. God is the greatest gift giver there ever was. And you get salvation and you get salvation and you get salvation. We all get salvation because of what Jesus came to do and what he came to do to bring. Not what is done by the people, but what Jesus came to do on the cross to do for the people of this world. Verse 15, uh, next verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Does anyone know what Simon's name was changed to later by Jesus? Who's this Simon? First service, got it. Peter, okay, you just needed to talk. Okay, got it. You're, you looked smarter walking in. Um, yeah, Peter. Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Next verse. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once, Andrew and Peter left their nets and followed him. Verse 19. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, Jesus called to them and said, and, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, with the business, right there, and followed him. And I remember when I was a, I was a kid, hearing about this, and maybe it wasn't when I when I was five years old, because at that point I was just thinking, when's snack time or something like that. But maybe when I was a little bit older, you know, in my teenage years, hearing this, thinking, who does that? Who sees someone on the shore? 
They say, follow me, and they just leave their business and their dad in the boat and go and follow someone. If you just read Mark's account, it seems, it seems a little unrealistic. Well, the cool thing is, this is not the only biography of Jesus. And so we learn a little bit more about this incident and about these guys when we turn to Luke's account. Um, Luke was a, a gentleman who was commissioned by a man named Theophilus back in the first century to do a bunch of research and to write an, a, a historical account of Jesus' life. And Luke tells us that these four gentlemen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, this was not the only thing they had ever heard about Jesus. They had had a chance to hear him preach, probably share a little bit more about who he was. And then right before he called them and to follow him, Jesus actually did a miracle for them. Maybe some of you remember this miracle. Jesus got into the boat and it was after fishing time was over and all the nets were cleaned. And Jesus told Peter, why don't you throw your net into the sea? And Peter, his fisherman side, is thinking, I just cleaned the nets. It takes forever. And this isn't the right time of day. But because Jesus asked, Peter threw his nets in. And they caught so many fish at the wrong time of day that James and John had to come over and help him bring them in. And so I want to be really clear with you right now. This is why I'm kind of belaboring this. That this call and, and then their following, their following was not a coming to faith. Because only, only God can do that. We cannot choose to come to faith. Their follow, their follow was people who understood at least a little bit about who Jesus was and saw him do miracles in response, following. And, and they did not understand as much as you and I do about Jesus. And we know that because they were continuously confused during those, th those two years of Jesus' ministry that they were with him. But they understood enough that they, they followed out of some semblance of faith. And it changed their life. Our next feeling is this, that purpose doesn't change your life. It's Biblically speaking, the result of a life that's already been changed. And, and, and why I'm saying that is I think sometimes, and I'm talking specifically to the Christians among us today here with this one, is that we're looking so much for purpose and we think that if I just find the right job or if I find the right purpose or if I find, that that's going to change my life. You've been changed and you find your greatest purpose within that changed life. And sometimes it doesn't change much in the sense of, you know, those two different ways of thinking. Sometimes it changes everything. You start with changed life, and then you think about what is God's purposes for me? How can I live for him and find my, my purpose in him? So what was the purpose that Jesus had for Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. Well, before I, I give it to you, let me ask this. Um, why do you follow Jesus? 
Or maybe a different way to ask that is, um, what's the thing you think of or appreciate most when it comes to following Jesus? And I think I'm guessing that 99% of us initially would say, the thing I appreciate most is that he's given me all that you already talked about, Ben. Forgiveness and salvation and hope for eternity. And let me just say, absolutely, that is, that is a good answer. That is the best blessing we receive through Jesus. But could I also say this? Because I will anyway. Um, it's not the whole picture. That when it comes to following Jesus, maybe sometimes we're actually too tunnel visioned on what is in it for me. Here's what I mean. I think so often we can treat God like some sort of cosmic vending machine that we put in the prayer, we press A5, and then we get out whatever it is we want. And, and, and our lives and our following becomes all about the gimme's. Give me health, give me uh, peace, give me kids, uh, give me better kids, uh, give me a boyfriend, give me another boyfriend, uh, a different one, give me a job, you know, all that stuff. And those are all good prayers to give. And, and God wants us to ask him for anything. But that is not the sum of following Jesus, the sum total of following Jesus. Because when we follow, when we understand that our lives have been changed by him, it's not just what else can I get. God gives you tremendous purpose. Let's go back to verse 17. Here's what he told Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He said, come follow me and I will. Now, he didn't say, come and I will give you happiness. Didn't say it. Come, follow me, and I will make you famous. Come, follow me, and I'll give you less earthly problems. In fact, sidebar, what he says more than anything in the New Testament is that following Jesus is the harder way, the harder route. <laughs> when Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, he said this, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people or make you fishers of men. Maybe you remember that. Send you out to fish for people. Here's the thing. When it comes to salvation, Jesus has done it all. 100%. We can't add to it. We can't help him out. He's not counting on us to do anything. But when it comes to getting the message out to the world, after he ascended to heaven, he, I think I can say this, 100% counted on us to be the ones to share it and that he would then work through us, through the church. You see, this was the time in Jesus' ministry where he was kind of mobilizing the church together. The, 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 these, these men that he called are ones that we benefit from today because it's because of them that we know the message of Jesus in part. 
Peter, Andrew, James, and John. In fact, uh, here's the list of all 12 of the disciples. These, these men were the, the leaders of the early Christian church. Almost all of them died because they would not stop telling people about Jesus. They died for and because of their faith. And then when Jesus left this earth, physically speaking, he, um, he essentially commissioned the rest of the church, all Christians, all people who've had their lives changed, that you and I also are fishers of people, which is a really weird phrase if you've never heard it before. But what it means, not that you go out onto a sea, put a net in, and then pull up people, but instead that you and I are helping to gather people into the boat, so to speak, or into relationship with God through the sharing of the message of Jesus. Number three, followers of Jesus are fishers of people. It does not end that point with if they want to or if they're a pastor or if they're outgoing or if they're in the right spot or right season of life. (laughs) There's no qualifiers to this calling. Followers of Jesus are fishers of people. And I'm, I'm being so clear on that today because our initial reaction to this are excuses or pushback. I don't know enough. I'm not the right person. And isn't it your job then anyway? (laughs) And so, frankly, according to statistics, most Christians don't tell anyone about Jesus because faith is personal, they would say, and I don't want to infringe. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But when you feel inadequate, I want you to know you're in good company. There are very few examples in Scripture where God would call someone to a a big message or an important message and the person he called did not feel inadequate almost every single time. And so maybe it's better said you are inadequate, (laughs) but you don't go alone. That the Holy Spirit will work with you and will work through you. And you want to talk about purpose? Try number four on for size. The biggest difference you can make is an eternal difference. For me, and and, and maybe you would say this too, but for me, if someone were to ask me this question, what's the biggest thing that you'd like to leave with your kids, if you had to choose one thing, and there's a lot of things, I'd love for them to have a comfortable life. I'd like to shield them from problems. I'd like to give them the perfect house, the perfect home environment. I would like to give them a perfect dad. But if I had to pick one thing, be faith. If I could not give my kids any of those other things, but it was just that, that is what will make a difference into eternity. And guys, 
whether it's for your family or for the people around you that aren't your family, there's, there's no greater purpose we could have. You talk about purpose. No greater purpose you can have than to help people understand Jesus so that they might have life that lasts into eternity. You know, over the years, when I've had a chance to listen to messages about going out and fishing for people or sharing uh, your light and things, um, so often the sermons I've listened to would stop right there. And so what would happen sometimes, for me at least, is that I would leave knowing what I was called to do, but carrying this burden of not knowing how to do it. And, and you know, the pastor can, always, can say it's so easy, but come on. It's not always so easy, is it? So, so what do I do? Do, do I go door to door and ask complete strangers if they know where they're going when they die? Or do I go down on the street corner near U.S. Bank Stadium with a bullhorn, repent, kingdom of heaven is near? I mean, it worked for John the Baptist. Do I put a fish symbol on the back of my car and call it good? Do I wear a t-shirt that says my boss is a Jewish carpenter? Um, you know, what do, what do I do? I really wrestled with that today. Because I'm better preaching to Christians than I am doing this at Cub or in my neighborhood. And I'd say I don't ever do it. I'm just saying it's easier here. There, there's a lot of answers to the how, okay? And you might have a better one, but I did not want to lead, have you leave the way I sometimes felt with sermons like this, I want to give you one very clear application. Take it or do something better. But the verse that kept rolling around in my mind was this one from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And, you know, the thing I constantly hear and sometimes even think and feel is that it's becoming so much harder to share your faith in the culture that we live in and with all the restraints and parameters around things. And things are just getting darker in this country. <laughs> Where does light shine the brightest? In the dark. You know how I'm thinking? In some ways, it's easier than ever to let your light shine. Because people aren't used to as much those who are forgiving and selfless and not in it for themselves and have morals and isn't about the bottom line but is about the person in the next cubicle. These are traits that are becoming increasingly less in our culture and society. And they're exactly what Jesus called us to here. And so maybe your take home is this, that you just become more intentional in living out what God has called you to be at work, at home, at school. And then in the ways that you can, you pray for opportunities to tell people the why behind the what. Here's what I'm doing. You pray for doors to tell them the why because this is what Jesus has done for me and has done for you as well. We all are created with this desire to make a difference. 
the biggest difference we can make is one that lasts into eternity. And may God go with us as a church and as individuals to do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son who came to not just preach the good news, but to be the embodiment of it, to be the fulfillment of it. And Lord, now as, as we consider your calling on Peter, Andrew, James, and John, help us to see that that calling is also for us. Not to be one of your 12 disciples, but to be a fisher of people. And Lord, I pray for each person in this room that you would open doors for them to then find opportunities to share the hope that they have because of your son with those around them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.